Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So the book of Numbers, it's the fourth book in what's known as the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, this may not be one that you would go like, you know, I, I, I want to just read the book of Numbers because there's a lot of uh, numbers. There's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of things in there that seems like, you know, why are we studying this? Um, I, it's my prayer that you're going to be blessed uh, as we go through it because, you know, the pages of the Old Testament point to Jesus in so many places. And hopefully we'll, we'll find those places as we go through the book of Numbers too. So to give you just a little bit of background, uh, the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And uh, when we get to um, the end of the book of Leviticus, which was one that we studied not too terribly long ago, um, by, the, by the time when the, at the end of the book of Leviticus, uh, the children of Israel had only been out of Egypt for just a little bit more than a year. And the book of Exodus, by the way, it covers a year of their history as, as they left Egypt. Um, the book of Leviticus covered a month basically a month of their history. Well, the book of Numbers that we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks uh, covers more than 38 years of the children of Israel's wandering through the wilderness. And so the book of Numbers really details their wandering. And, you know, God never intended for the children of Israel to be just stuck in the wilderness. Um, you know the story that because of their disbelief and their disobedience, God said, okay, you're going to wander through the wilderness until this generation of those that disbelieve me die and your children are going to inherit the promises that I, that I had promised for you. And so the, the book of Numbers details that. And, you know, here the children of Israel, they had, like I said, they've only been out of Israel or I mean out of Egypt for about a year. So they've still got this 400 years of slave mentality. And so God is taking this time as they're wandering through the, through the wilderness to prepare them for life in the promised land. There's going to be battles that they're going to fight. There's going to be challenges. And God's preparing a people through, their, through the book of Numbers. So it's my prayer as we go through this that God will use that in our hearts as well. So let's go ahead and take a look at it. Uh, Numbers chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt saying, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And with you there shall be a man from every tribe, every one, uh, each one of the head of his father's house. Excuse me. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you. From Reuben, uh, this guy, Eliezer, the son of, you know, I'm not going to go through all these names, but there's a bunch of names here of these guys that, that the Lord chose. I'm going to jump down to verse 16. 
Then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry by families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, and each one individually. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the in the wilderness of Sinai. So God tells them, take every, the name of every male that's 20 years old and above, all of those who are able to go to war, and you're going to number them, and you're going to, and, and, and God says, and, and there's these individuals that I want that are going to be the heads of different fathers' households. I want them to recite, basically, their family history to you. And so we have a list of these different men that are called out from the different tribes of Israel, and all the tribes are represented there. Um, you know that the children of Israel, the 12 sons of Aaron, are the tribes of Israel, because 12 sons of Jacob, excuse me, are the, are the children of Israel. Jacob's name was later on changed to Israel. And uh, so what are the names? Well, we got the tribe of Reuben, tribe of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Issachar, and Joseph. And what's interesting about Joseph if you recall back in Genesis, the end of Genesis, that uh, Jacob had told Joseph, uh, you know, Joseph had been a slave in Egypt, and and uh, after coming out, uh, being revealed to his father that he was the prince of Egypt, he was like the second in command to the Pharaoh, and Jacob blesses Joseph and says, "You're gonna, you're gonna have basically have a double portion of the inheritance. So your two sons that were born to you in Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh, I am gonna." Consider them along with your brothers for the tribal inheritance. So, uh, so we have Ephraim and Manasseh, and then we have Dan and Benjamin. So, literally, there are actually 13 tribes of uh, the children of Israel. We always think of the 12 tribes, but there literally was 13 because Joseph was uh, actually Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, what's interesting about these different times when you go through the Old Testament, there's different times when the 12 tribes of Israel are mentioned. Um, the Holy Spirit, you know, you, you read through this and there's times when a certain tribe is not, it's, it's excluded from the enumeration of the tribes of Israel. And you go, well, wonder why that is. Well, there is a reason why. And I don't know that we know all the reasons why, um, but here... Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel are enumerated, and yet, enumerated, excuse me, and yet one is excluded in that list that I, we skipped over, but you can read it, and that's the tribe of Levi. Why? Because the Levites would be in charge of the tabernacle and all the holy things, and they're not to go to war. Um, and, and so Levi is excluded in this, and we kind of understand why as we go through this chapter. When we get to Deuteronomy chapter 33, Moses has a prophecy about the different tribes, and there is a tribe that's excluded from that tribe, and the tribe is Simeon. And you go, well, why Simeon of all people? Why is he excluded from Deuteronomy 33? And there's a hint and I could do another Bible study on it, but basically it goes back to Jacob's prophecy in Genesis chapter 49 um, regarding Simeon and Levi. And you go, well, wait, okay, there's a prophecy regarding Simeon and Levi. Why is Simeon excluded but Levi is included? A hint, if, you're like to, if you like to dig into things, uh, there's an event that occurs by the name of Phineas, and it's in Numbers chapter 25, 
that he blesses his tribe, the tribe of Levi. And so we'll, we'll get to that when we get to Numbers chapter 25, maybe in a week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, anyways, that's just, if you, like to, if you like to study, go take a look at that and go, I wonder why Simeon's excluded. In Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000, there are men that are listed from the different tribes. And in that listing, the tribe of Dan is excluded. Uh, I honestly don't know the answer to why Dan is excluded. Something it has something to do with the Antichrist. I'm not really sure. But and again, it's fascinating. And I don't think it's like, like oh, it's coincidental. No, there's a reason why. So if you like to study the Bible, those are some good things to, if you like mysteries, it's a good thing to dig into. But here, um, the tribe of Levi is excluded, and we understand why, because they have a special mission from the Lord. And so there in verse 5, it says, the Lord tells uh, uh, Moses, says, these are the names of the men who shall stand with you. And then he lists these men by name, which I think is fascinating. God had already selected these individuals for a specific task and names them by name. Do you know that God knows your name? Do you feel like you're a number sometimes? You feel like, man, I'm just a number, you know, like maybe you work for a large company. It's like, man, I'm just a number or maybe, you know, whatever. You're not a number when it comes to the Lord God. He knows you by name. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. If you have a relationship with the Lord, he knows you. And then in Revelation 20, verse 15, how, do you, how does the Lord know me? Well, listen, anyone, uh, let me just read Revelation 20, verse 15. It deals with the great white throne judgment. And it says, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So your name, if, if you have a relationship with the Lord, your name is written in a book and it's recorded and God knows your name. So just an encouragement if you feel like you're like, nobody knows me, God knows you. What's also interesting about this chapter here is verse 1, you'll notice that when, when this takes place, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai uh, on the first day of the second month of the second year after they come out of Egypt. So we have a time frame when the Lord speaks to them. And if you look down to verse 17, it says, then Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month. So in other words, they obeyed. They, the God says, I want you to do this. That very same day, they went out and did it. Man, that's like immediate obedience. There's no delay. I love that. Psalm 119, verse 59 and 60. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. Wouldn't that be cool if we could say that all the time? And God says something and I just do it. I can, I can tell you, I've, my testimony is God's spoken to me many times, and I've, I've delayed. And the, there's a danger in delaying. First of all, it's disobedience, but secondly, you can forget and end up not doing something. I like what Spurgeon said. He said, speed and repentance and speed and obedience are two excellent things. We are too often in haste to sin. Oh, that we may be in a greater hurry to obey. And so here... 
the children of Israel, Moses, man, that the same day they obey the Lord. And so they are there to count every male individually from 20 years old and above who are able to go to war. Notice that there's no women mentioned there's because the, these are all fighting men. There's no women that are counted, no children, no minors, no strangers. Because remember, there was a mixed multitude that came out with the children of Israel. The Levites aren't counted. Also, the older men that are not able to go to war. So when we look at these numbers, if you just kind of think in your mind, you add children and spouses and older people. I mean, there's, it kind of gives you an idea of how many people were in Israel at this time, the children of Israel. And so in verses 20 through 46, and again, <clears throat> I apologize, but I'm, I'm not going to read through those. I encourage you, if you want to read them uh, this afternoon when you get home, that's fine. Uh, but in verses 20 through 46, we have the uh, tribes and the members of each tribe enumerated. And the reason why I don't want to say it is because I'll be spring. <laughs> I'll be spring. I, I just uh, the, Some of these are hard to pronounce, so you'll bear with me on that. But let's move down to verse 47. So they've got the names of all, and, and of all the men and how many thousands of men in each tribe that are able to go to war. Verse 47, but the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord had spoken to Moses saying, only the tribe of Levi you shall not number nor take a census among them, among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and the camp around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levite shall take it down, and when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levite shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, which is a flag or a pendant, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did, according to all the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. So the Levites, they're not to go to war. Their job is to take care of the tabernacle and all the holy furnishings. They're the ones that when it's time to leave, they take it down. They carry everything as they're going around. When it's time, to, when, the, when the cloud or the, you know, stops and God's indicating this is where you're to stop, then, then they set up the camp. And so the children of Israel, the, the Levites were to camp all around the tabernacle. So in, their, in an area around that, and then the rest of the tribes are to camp out, you know, next to them, basically. And we'll actually be looking at that in chapter 2. <clears throat> so let's move on to chapter 2, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard, beside the emblems of his father's house, they shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. On the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces with Judah shall camp according to their armies, and Nashon, the son of Amminadab, shall be the leader of the children of Judah. And his army was numbered at 74,600. So the east side of 
the tabernacle, the east side of the Levites, uh, the, the, the camp of the Levites around the tabernacle, was where the tribe of Judah towards the rising of the sun were to set up their camp, you know, next to their standard, their flag. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what that flag, what was the emblem on that flag, but rabbinical sources According to rabbinical tradition, they say the standard of Judah, or the, the flag for the tribe of Judah, was the figure of a lion. Why? Because Judah is the, you know, the, tribe, of the, the tribe of Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so they figured that the, the, that flag had a lion on it. Uh, verse 5. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, and Nathanael, Nathanael, the son of Zuar, shall be the leader of the children of Issachar. And his army was numbered at 54,400. Then comes the tribe of Zebulun, and Eliab, the son of Halon, uh, shall be the leader of the children of Zebulun. And his army uh, was numbered at 57,400. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces with Judah, 186,400. These shall break camp first. So you have the tribe of Judah. It's like the main tribe of these three tribes. And the other tribes, Issachar and Zebulun, were to camp next to Judah, but they're basically under the flag of Judah. And we have the total number of these men, 186,400. Notice something that I think is significant in verse 9. In verse 9, the, cho the children of Israel are told who's, which tribes are to, camp, or to break camp first or to, you know, and we have first, second, third, and fourth. Well, the tribe of Judah breaks camp first. And I like that. Why? Because Judah's name means praise. And so what I think it's really interesting because in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, there's a story of the king of Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah at the time when 2 Chronicles 20 is written. And in that chapter, and you don't, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but in chapters, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 2, it says, then, came, uh, then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Haz Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared... I mean, who would, you know, you've got this, Jehoshaphat, there's a big army, and there's, there's like three different countries, they're all coming against you. And they're, by the way, they're on their way. And so Jehoshaphat feared, it says, and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And you know where they came? They went to the house of the Lord. And you, you got something tough going on in your life. What a better place to go than to come to church. That's basically what they did. They went to church and they worshiped the Lord. Well, it goes on in that story in 2 Chronicles 20. Um, Jehoshaphat, he prays through verses 4 or verses 5 through verse 15. And then there's uh, the Lord raises up a prophet. And the prophet comes and speaks to the, uh, the nation and to Jehoshaphat. And in verse 15 it says, this is the prophet speaking. Listen all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. 
Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And then in verse 21, this is what Jehoshaphat does. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise went first in this situation. Verse 22, now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Jerusalem, or Judah, excuse me, and they were defeated. So I think it's beautiful. The tribe of Judah is there, there to go out first. The tribe of praise is to lead out very, in the very first thing. Man, are you struggling, going through a difficult time in your life right now? Are you fearful? Man, just worship the Lord. Just worship the Lord, praise the Lord, stand back and let the Lord fight your battle. So often we try to fight our own battles, but stand back and let the Lord show you what he can do because he's all powerful. So I like that. It just uh, it jumps out at me there. Well, moving on here, back, back to Numbers, back in the wilderness, in uh, verse 10. So we have Judah on the east side and the armies with them, which would be... Um, uh, what was it, Zebulun and, uh, oh, i got to find it again, Issachar and Zebulun. Now down to verse 10. On the south side shall be the standard of the forces with Reuben according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Reuben shall be Eliezer, the son of Sheduer. And his army was numbered at 46,500. Those who camp next to him shall be of the tribe of Simeon, and the leader of the children of Simeon shall be Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai. And his army was numbered at 39,300. Then comes the tribe of Gad, and the leader of the children of Gad shall be Elisaphath, or whatever, son of Ruel. And his army was numbered at 45,656. According uh, excuse me, all who were numbered according to their armies of the forces with Reuben, 151,450. They shall be the second to break camp. So we have the tribe of Reuben with the, uh, these armies that are gathered under that flag. What flag was that? Again, according to rabbinical tradition, the standard of Reuben was either the likeness of a man or the head of a man. It was a, it was a man, basically. And so next to Reuben would be the tribe of Simeon, and next to that would be the tribe of Gad. And we're told that they, this is the camp that would break second, and their number is 151,450. And we get to verse 17, and the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camps as they camp. So they shall move out, everyone in his place, by their standards. So Judah's, they lead out first. Praise leads out first. I love that. And then after that, the tribe of Reuben and those two tribes that are with them. And then the Levites, then they break camp and then they leave and then the, the rest of the tribes there. Verse 18. On the west side shall be the standard of the forces with Ephraim, according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Ephraim shall be Elishama, the son of Amahud. 
Now, do you know why I don't try to read all these names? <laughs> and his army was numbered at 40,500. Next to him comes the tribe of Manasseh, and the leader of the children of Manasseh shall be Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, or her, whatever. <laughs> and his army was numbered at 32,200. I wish it was like Bob and Sue and, you know, Billy, you know, but they, it's, anyways. I guess if you were around, then you'd pronounce them well. Uh, then comes the tribe of Benjamin, and the leader of the children of Benjamin shall be Abadan, the son of Gideonai. And his army was numbered at uh, 35,400. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces with Ephraim, 180,100. They shall be the third to break camp. So Ephraim, uh, again, according to rabbinical tradition, the standard, the emblem on the standard of Ephraim was the figure of an ox. And so Ephraim is to be next to the next to uh, uh, the the Levites who are camped in the center, and then it'd be followed by Manasseh, and then after that Benjamin. They're the third camp to break. Actually, be the fourth after the Levites, um, but their numbers is 108,100. Now we get to verse 25. I'm in the wrong book. Here we go. <laughs> I was looking at chapter 3. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Uh, the standard of the forces with Dan shall be on the north side according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Dan shall be Ahizir, the son of Amishadai. And his army was numbered at 62,700. Those who can't next to him shall be the tribe of Asher. And the leader of the children of Asher shall be Pegiel, the son of Okran. And his army was numbered at 41,500. Then comes the tribe of Naphtali. And the leader of the children of Naphtali shall be Ahira, the son of Enan. And his army was numbered at 33,400. All who were numbered of the forces with Dan, 157,600. They shall break camp last with their standards. So now we have the tribe of Dan. And according to rabbinical tradition, uh, the, the standard of Dan was an eagle. And so Dan's next to the Levites on, on that side, and then the, followed by the tribe of Asher, and then after that, Naphtali. They were the last camp to break, and we're told the number of them was 157,600. Verse 32, these are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses. All who were numbered according to their armies of the forces were 600. Uh, 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they broke camp, each by his own, each one by his family, according to their father's houses. So we have the 12 tribes gathered together in four groups. Each of them are under a banner of the main tribe, of one main tribe. And then the Levites are camped around the tabernacle in the middle of the, of the, of the whole encampment. And uh, you might say, wow, that's kind of boring, man. Reading that and reading all these numbers and stuff, it's like, what's the big deal? It is significant. It's symbolic also. You think about this. The Ark of the Covenant, that's where God would meet with the children of Israel. It's in the center of the camp. 
And on four sides of them are these four main groups of camps of the children of Israel represented by these four different emblems, these different standards. And again, according to tradition, to rabbinical tradition, we have the, the lion, we have a man, we have an ox, and we have an eagle. That should be very, that you might have to go, man, where have I read that before? In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision as he, uh, uh, they're, in, they're in Babylon and they're in, uh, in captivity and the Lord God appears to Ezekiel in a vision. And I want to read this to you. You can turn there if you want. Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So he's having this vision, Ezekiel is. It says, and from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had human likeness. But each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had four human, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likenesses of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion, on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. So there you have a man, an eagle, an ox, just like what we're reading here with these standards of the tribes of Judah camped around the tabernacle. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, John, again, he has a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. It's amazing to me. See, it would appear to me that these tribal standards are, it's a picture, I believe, of these four living creatures that surround the throne of God. And so you have the tabernacle where God is meeting with the children of Israel and they're, they're, those four flags are around the throne or, or around the meeting place of the Lord God. You know, the book of Hebrews says that all these things in the Old Testament, they're a copy and a shadow of things seen in heaven. So here it's just like we have this little shadow that we're looking at right now to give us an idea of what heaven's going to be like. These tribal standards, not only do I think they, they, they could very well be symbolic or a picture or a symbol of these four living creatures, but I think it also possibly represents the Gospels also, the four Gospels. Why do I say that? Well, Matthew 
The Gospel of Matthew was written in a way to show how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Messiah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The book of Mark it deals with Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. And the, the ox is, you know, it's represented by the ox. That's a beast of burden. It's just a servant. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, represents Jesus Christ as fully man. And here we have the representation of the face of a man. And then finally, John, where he, that the, the gospel of John represents Jesus as fully God. Again, and in, and in the Bible, the eagle is quite often symbolizes God, is a picture of God. So I think that's really, really fascinating. But wait, there's more. <laughs> it's almost like one of those infomercials, right? You get the steak knives, and then on top of that, you know, and then there is more. We're not going to get to Numbers chapter 3 today. But in Numbers chapter 3, God commands Moses and Aaron to take a census of the tribe of Levites, all the Levite males. And we're told that there's about 22,000 uh, one month old and up. And those are the ones that are going to serve in the tabernacle. And uh, the camp of the Levites, like we've mentioned earlier, they, uh, they are the center of all the tribes. They're right there in the middle. And so you, we have this number, roughly about 22,000. Uh, how much space would 22,000 people, now again, you've got to figure in their families too, right? Uh, the older Levites that can't serve, you know, the, the, the wives and the daughters and all that. So 22,000 is just a number we have. How much space would each Levite occupy? So let's just throw out a number. Uh, let's just say if they were just standing there that they only occupy one square foot. And you go, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, just throw out that number. We'll use that number. If that was true, and there's about 22,000 male Levites, again, just bear with me on this, that would roughly take up 22,000 square feet, basically. If there's 22,000, each one is a square foot. Uh, so they occupy a square foot. So roughly 22,000 square feet. Now, each group of the tribes of Levi are going to be camped to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. They're not going to be camped to the northwest or northeast, southwest, or southeast. They're going to be either north, south, east, or west. So again, I picked this arbitrary number of one square foot for 22,000 Levites. So you get 22,000 Levites or 22,000 square feet. We can just figure that's, you know, that's the, the area of the tribe around the tabernacle. Well, if you take that same number and you take the numbers of all these different tribes, you get an idea of just how they were camped out around the center, around the Ark of the Covenant. You want to go to that first slide there, if you could? This will... So I have a graphic, and hopefully you're seeing it on the live stream as well. I just drew this up yesterday, but you have in the center there 22,000 roughly uh, Levites, or 22,300, whatever. It's around 22,000. And so if you can kind of in your mind imagine 22,000 square feet, they're in the center. Now, to the north of them would be, well, we'll start with the east, since the Bible starts with the east. So in the east of them, you have the tribe of Judah there at the bottom. And we have 166,100 total of these armies. And so you would say, well, if, if I'm using 22,000 a square foot per person, then uh, Judah would occupy 166 
Well, you know the math. I'm not going to do the math. But you know, you, you get an idea how much is, it's big. <laughs> it's a big space. They're to the east. And next to Judah is going to be the tribe of Issachar and Zebulun. They're, they are joining forces with Judah. If you go to the west on the, on the top of the picture, you have Ephraim. We, had, we were told their number was 108,100. And you know, it's interesting. If you graph this out, you can do this if you get a chance. Just use scale. Just have a scale thing and, and draw something out to scale. It'll amaze you. Anyway, so we have Ephraim on the west there. And uh, next to him would be Manasseh, the, the, the men of the tribe of Manasseh, and then the men of Benjamin. Uh, on the north side, we have the tribe of Dan. And we're told those numbers. And you have the tribe of Asher and Naphtali. That would be to the side of them. And then on the, uh, on the south side, we have Reuben and Simeon and Gad. You see, the Levites were to be in between the tribes and the tabernacle. And so whatever space the Levites use, that's about the same space that the, that the tribes of, of Judah and Ephraim and Dan and Reuben, you know, they're not going to go beyond that because they're to be on each side of the thing. You know, it's interesting to me, too. The north and the south, uh, they are relatively equal, relatively equal. Um, and the Ephraim to the west is short relative to the camp of Judah on the east. And you go, well, what's the point of that? What's the big deal? If you were in a hot air balloon and you were up high enough and you were looking down, it would be a big deal. Why don't you show them the second slide? This is what it would actually look like. If you, if you did it to scale, what, and you can pick whatever scale you want, the center would be the camp of the Levites with the Ark of the Covenant, the tribe of Judah there on the east, which is in our pictures on the bottom, and to scale, that would be it. On the west and the, on the north and the south, it's equal sides. On the top, it's that side. Looks like a cross, doesn't it? Why? Wow, would, would God do that? Well, apparently he did. You know, it's interesting, when I, when I studied this, and I, I came across this in a book that I was reading a long time ago, and it just, it always stuck with me. But I always think in terms of north and south. It's like, you know, when I'm, whenever I have a picture of a compass, north is always on the top and south is on the bottom and stuff. Um, God evidently doesn't think in terms of north and south. God evidently looks at east and west. And, uh, you know, you think about it, the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. But there's also something else I think that's kind of significant to why it's that way. And that is the millennial temple in Ezekiel chapter 43. In the millennial temple, uh, we're told that the Messiah is going to enter in through the eastern gate, which I think is just fascinating. In Ezekiel 43 verse 4, And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces towards the east. You know, the, the, the people that have known that prophecy about the Millennial Temple, and there was a guy in 1541. He was an Ottoman sultan by the name of Suleiman. He knew that prophecy, and he sealed shut the eastern gate of the ancient city so that Messiah wouldn't be able to come through. And, th and then in addition to that, they put a cemetery, a Muslim cemetery, between the eastern gate and the Mount of Olives. Because they're like, there's no way a good Jewish person's going to walk through a cemetery. Little do they know the Messiah is going to come through there. It doesn't matter. Messiah is coming through there uh, during the millennium. So I think it's just fascinating. Well, you might say, okay, you just that was really interesting, and wow, I didn't know that, or you know, 
kind of fascinating. What's the point for me? What's the application for me? Well, here's the first point. Again, the children of Israel, they're just obeying the Lord. They don't, they don't know, you know, they don't have, they're not flying on a hot air balloon. They're, you know, there's no Goodyear blimp out there. You know, there's, they don't have a clue. They're just obeying the Lord. They're just, okay, the Lord told me to do this. I'm going to do this. I don't understand why. But on a larger scale, there is a reason why. God is doing that for a sh copy and a shadow of things that are in heaven. He, he's, there's a picture being painted here. And so although it made little sense probably to the children of Israel, there was a plan and a purpose. And for you and me in our lives today, there's things in my life that just don't make sense. This whole thing that's going on right now does not make sense. It's like, what's, what's the deal with this? Why, why is this happening? Well, let's just obey the Lord. Let's just be obedient to the Lord and trust him. Let's worship the Lord, praise the Lord. And you know what? God's got a plan and a purpose even in this because he's on the throne. He's got a plan and a purpose. So even in your own life, if you have things going on that just makes little sense, trust that God has a plan in it and trust him. If you're a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2 verse 10, We are His workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan and a purpose for each of us as believers. Next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at the, the, the things that the Levites were to do. And there was a plan and a purpose for each one of them. Each of them had a role to play. Well, the same thing is true for you and I as believers. We have a role to play in our generation. The Lord God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. That was in set in from before we were ever even born. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Things that you and I are to do as believers. If you're an unbeliever, I, I don't know if anyone here in the sanctuary is an unbeliever, but maybe you're watching this morning and you're like, you just caught this thing and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's, I don't know about this stuff. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you this morning the Bible is true. It's true. Listen, the Bible is compri comprised of actually 66 books and every one of them is inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's 40 different authors that make up the books of the Bible here, and it was written over a period of 1,500 years, and yet there's a single message through every page, and the message is that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You can see it throughout the Old Testament. <clears throat> the message is that mankind has sinned and needs a Savior, and God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world and to rise again from the dead and to offer his salvation freely to anyone. And so I want to just close with this. <clears throat> for those of you that don't have a relationship with the Lord, how do I get a relationship with the Lord? I mentioned earlier that verse in Revelation 20. If anyone's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, they'll be cast in the lake of fire. Well, how do I get my name written in the Lamb's book of life? I'm glad you asked that. It's very simple. It's as simple as ABC, believe it or not. You guys know ABC? It's as simple as that. You can go ahead and go to the next slide if you would. 
So ABC, you can go to the, even the next one actually after that one. First of all, A, admit that you're a sinner. That's, you just admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's no one righteous. We've all sinned. In fact, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're, we're all sinners. And Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the very first thing, it's very simple, just acknowledge or admit that you're a sinner. And then the next slide, if you'd go to that, is B. Remember, A, B, C, B. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. I love Romans 10, verses 8 and 9, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how your name gets written into the Lamb's book of life. And then finally, the last slide is C. So you have admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and then finally C, call upon the name of the Lord. And that's just basically praying to the Lord. Again, Romans 10 Verse 10, for with the heart one believes until righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then just another verse, a couple verses down in verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's as simple as ABC to, to become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Because we read through all these chapters, and we, we'll be looking at more things in the book of Numbers that point to Jesus it's God's message to the world that, hey, I love you, and I've provided a way for you to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. Why don't you guys stand up that here in the audience, and uh, for those of you that are watching, you don't have to stand if you don't want to, but you can. I just want to close us in prayer this morning, and uh, I hope that you're encouraged, for, first of all, if you're a believer this morning. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, can I just encourage you to just to do the ABCs, man. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and rose again. And then just pray. Pray with us to accept Christ as your Savior. And the Bible, it's, God's, it's not my promise. It's God's promise. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's very easy for us to do, but it wasn't easy for Jesus, right? Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. He gave his life so that we could have life. So I'm just going to pray. And uh, again, I'll be praying. And I just encourage you, if you're here or you're at home, uh, to pray. You know, God hears you. He sees you. He knows your heart. He knows what we're all going through. And he loves you. And, uh, and so if you pray, God knows your heart. And he'll answer your prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that uh, you've provided these pictures, Lord, these symbols that, Lord, if we're just willing to dig in a little bit, Lord, that we can see these nuggets. And Lord, all these nuggets, they're a copy and a shadow of things in heaven. Lord, we see you throughout the pages of the entire scriptures. And so I thank you for your word this morning, Lord. I thank you for this, this, this beautiful picture that we had this morning. And Lord God, I pray for those here, those that are watching this morning, Lord, that are going through a difficult time. Maybe they're having health issues, or maybe they're having financial issues. 
Or Lord, maybe there's just so much confusion, fear and confusion because of all the junk that's going on around us. Lord, I pray that as believers, we would trust that you have a plan and a purpose and that Lord, you are in control. Lord, I pray that we might be willing to be used by you, Lord, in whatever way that you would see fit for your kingdom, for your purposes. And Lord, for those that don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, Lord, I pray that they would see that, Lord, you want them to have a relationship with you, Lord. That, Lord, even tuning into this live stream, even being here in this sanctuary, it wasn't an accident. It's not a coincidence. Lord God, you've been tugging at people's hearts all along. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord, if there's anyone hearing my voice, whether it's today or later on watching the live stream, Lord, and they don't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that, Lord, that they would acknowledge that they're a sinner, believe that you died on the cross for them, and that, Lord, that they would call upon you. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray, I pray for each and every person that doesn't have a relationship with you right now, Lord, that they would acknowledge, that they would realize, Lord, that they've sinned. Lord, that they've come short of your glory. And Lord, that they would understand that the, the wages of sin is eternal death. And Lord, that they might believe what your word says, that you came, you lived, you lived a sinless life. Lord, you died the death of a criminal. Lord, you died for us because we are criminals. Lord, we've sinned against a holy God and you died in our place. Lord, I thank you that you rose again from the dead and that, Lord, now you offer forgiveness to anyone that will turn their hearts to you. So, Lord, if there's anyone that, that is in that situation right now, Lord, that has never given their heart to you, Lord, may I pray that they would repent of their sins, believe that you died on the cross for them, and invite you into their hearts to be the Lord of their lives. And, Lord, I thank you that... Lord, we can know that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and we will just pray to receive you, Lord Jesus, into our hearts. And so I pray for each and every person, Lord, and for those that have prayed, Lord, I know that you know their hearts. And I just, I just thank you, Lord God, for the work that you're doing in these last days. And thank you that we get to be a part of it, Lord. And so we love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.